from beautiful downtown Sacramento, it's time for Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket This is Spaz. Thanks for stopping by Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. I appreciate you hanging out with me here. I have a special guest today, Mr. Sal Baglio. Some of you will know him from the Stompers, also from his recordings under the name Rock E. Rollins. Sal has a new project, The Amplifier Heads, and they have a brand new album out called Lauda. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Stompers. We're going to talk about his whole career. So sit back, relax, and let's get going right here on Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. Beach Blanket yeah, yeah. Fort Bingo. Yeah, yeah. Beach Blanket Fort Bingo Podcast. Beach Blanket yeah, yeah. Fort Bingo. Yeah, yeah. Beach Blanket Fort Bingo Podcast. Boston-based singer-songwriter and guitarist Sal Baglio formed the Stompers in 1977. After building up a devoted audience and releasing a few independent singles, the band finally released their self-titled debut album on Boardwalk Records in 1983. Unfortunately, just as their single, Never Tell an Angel When Your Heart's on Fire, entered the Billboard Top 100, their label filed for bankruptcy. A year later, the album was repackaged, retitled, and re-released by Mercury Records, but by then the band's commercial momentum had stalled. The Stompers released an independent album in 1990, and while they haven't released any new music since then, they still play live to adoring crowds in the Boston area. Sal then recorded two albums under the pseudonym Rocky Rollins, before recording a pair of more intimate albums under his own name. Now, Sal has returned with his new musical project, The Amplifier Heads, and the album Lauda. This album features musical assistance from Ducky Carlisle, who has built up quite a reputation as a studio musician, engineer, and producer. On Lauda, Sal turns the volume and energy level up to 11 and has released one of the finest full lengths of his career. I was able to chat with Sal about his entire career from the Stompers, to the amplifier heads. In this interview, he's honest and forthright and still filled with an intense love of creating and celebrating passionate rock and roll music. Please enjoy this interview with Sal and remember to stick around after the ending theme to hear a previously unreleased song by Sal that will touch the heart of those who spent much of their youth scouring the bins in record stores. Welcome to the Blanket Fort, Sal Baglio. He was the kind of kid in the neighborhood Who was always told he was no good And everybody let him know it When he went to school 
Let's go back to the beginning. Do you remember the exact moment that you realized that you wanted to be a musician? I don't think I had a moment where I where I had to even think about it. it I just came into the world that way. You know, my, my father uh, was a musician. Uh, my grandfather on my mother's side was a vaudeville musician. And, um, you know, I loved it from the get-go. But I guess the first time that I uh, was able to put it into a clear pinpoint, like, this is what I'm going to do, was when my uh, older brother took me to see Hot Day's Night. So I was seven, and I was in the theater, and I saw that, and I was just like, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. But I mean, but I loved music before that. You know, I was aware of music before the whole British invasion thing happened. But once that happened, once I saw that film, that scene of uh, the Beatles in the train and they're singing, I should have known better. I said, well, that, that looks like a life I'd like to have. So um, <laughs> and then I spent, spent most of my life trying to attain the unattainable, but I was fortunate enough to carve out a little, little something. When you formed the Stompers in 77, what inspired you to stick to that classic American rock and roll sound in the midst of punk, power pop, new wave, and everything else that was going on? Uh, you know, it's just it was just the music that was in my DNA, the music that I loved and what I was listening to. And um, I just was, I you know, I didn't even think in terms of genre of punk and new wave. I didn't think in those terms. I just thought of rock and roll. I'm going to have a rock and roll band. That's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to go out, we're going to play, we jump around, and we're going to make people go crazy. And that was the idea behind the Stompers. It was just like, you know, we're just going to be a rock and roll band. Um, and it was it just happened to be in the midst of all that other stuff that was going on, which in a way worked to our advantage because we weren't like any of those other bands. What was the Boston scene like when the band first got together? And, and was there a camaraderie with other bands from the area? There was in the, in the very beginning. I mean, in, in, the, the Boston scene started like about 75, 76. It was starting to, you could hear things about this club downtown where people were playing original music. At that time, it was all cover bands that were playing and, and paying gigs. So all of a sudden, you started to hear like this bands are playing in Kenmore Square and they're doing their own music. And so around 76, I would go down and check some of these bands out. I'd be like, oh man, this is great. It was just rock band, you know, two guitars, bass and drums. There hadn't been a name put onto it yet. And when I formed the Stompers, we started to play at the Rat and Cantones and all these Boston-based clubs that, that these other bands were at. And at first it was, you know, it was a very welcoming scene, but then as things got put into boxes and genres, this thing, and this, this happens all the time 
okay, well, this this is the punk scene over here, and this is this scene over here. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves on the outside of that scene, always. We weren't really welcome in that scene. But once again, it worked out in our favor because we just sort of blazed on down the road. You know, we played a lot of colleges and a lot of clubs that weren't were outside of Boston, and that's where we really got our audience. a couple independent singles and you're playing a lot of high profile gigs which bands did you share the stage with back then we were really lucky we were one of those bands that always got called to to open up for whoever came to town so quite literally we, we opened for everybody from the almond brothers to youtube and everybody in between it was crazy sometimes it worked sometimes it worked out really good and other times it was, was a bad mix but um that teaches you how to take a punch. <laughs> After years of playing gigs, you finally signed a deal with Boardwalk Records. What was that like? I mean, did you feel like you'd finally arrived at that point? It was exciting. Of course it was exciting, but it was, it was all kind of hazy as well. You know, it was like so quick. And, okay, you know, we're going to go to New York, we're going to get this deal. And the deal hinges on who they're getting to produce you guys, which turned out to be Richie Cordell and Glenn Colotkin. And then, you know, I mean, it's the music business. So on one hand, it was very exciting. Wow, we got a record deal and all that. And then on the other hand, uh, then they started to tell us that we were going to, they wanted us to do other people's music. And, uh, you know, and we had to fight for that. And um, it was just crazy. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't really joyful, you know, but it, it was a lesson. It was a lesson in the music business. Do you feel that uh, Richie and Glenn understood where you guys were coming from on a musical level? I, I think they probably understood where we were coming from. Where they were coming from was they were hired by the record company to make another Joan Jett record. That's basically, they had the number one record with uh, I Love Rock and Roll. And Joan was on Boardwalk. So now they get this new band of Stompers and they come in and basically their idea was to make the record sound like that. That's the music business. That's the old fashioned music business. You get one hit and then you get a hundred bands to come in and sound like that hit. Only thing was we weren't like that. We weren't like that at all. I mean, the, the tunes that I had, that I was bringing in, they swung a different way. That the, the, the amp sound that we were using was different. When we got in the studio with, with Richie and Glenn, everything changed. You know, they wanted me to use Marshall stacks. They slowed everything down. And, you know, it was, it was what it was. I understand 
you know, uh, at the at the time that it happened, I wasn't that thrilled about it. I understand what they were there to do. They weren't there to like say, Sal, you know, man, you're the greatest. Let's do what you want to do. That's not their gig. Their gig was like, you know, we just had this number one with Joan Jett, so we need to keep making number ones. That's their that's their idea. I was more interested in in the fact that Glenn worked with all the acts on Berserkly, you know. You know, he's he's talking to me about Joan and the Ramones and all these bands that they did. I'm like, wait a minute, you 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 recorded Great Ken, Jonathan Rich. I want to talk about those guys. Let's make a record like that. You know what I mean? And uh, and then Richie, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, Richie, you wrote, I think, oh no, you wrote Moni Moni, Mirage, you produced Tommy James. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's record something that sounds like that. But, you know, that's not where they were at. And when your heart is broke, it's in distress. Your heart is beating on rhythm, sending out an SOS. If she rescues you, then she is true. If she don't, she's alive. The single, Never Tell an Angel, was getting traction on the Billboard charts, but there were problems with the label. What happened to Boardwalk at that time? They folded. <laughs> they folded the week that Never Tell an Angel hit the top 100 in Billboard, which I don't even know if, you know, the people don't even look at the chart that way anymore. This was top 100 in the country. We were like 80-something with a bullet, which back in those days meant I think it meant three weeks of, of upward motion, and then you see what happens. Well, the, the week that it debuted on the charts, uh, there was also a story in the in Billboard that Boardwalk Records Files, Chapter 11. Yep, that's my rock and roll story. I'm sticking to it. And then, you know, we went from there. They, they sold, you know, when you're in Chapter 11, you sell off your, your, your wares, and our master got sold to Mercury Polygram. Basically, they put the same record out uh, with one one new song on it, which was one hot for sale. Was that song recorded at the same sessions, or did you record that specifically for Mercury? So that song, uh, I was working on this tune, One High for Sale. It was kind of a Phil Spector-ish pop tune. And Richie, Richie heard it, and he said, I think I'm going to get that song to Ronnie Spector. So I was excited. I was, you know, we were like out of our minds about that. Of course, that never happened. So we, I had changed the lyric around so that it came from a female point of view. 
and uh, we we did a demo of it, and you know it didn't it didn't happen obviously, but and and that of course was the the whole the whole production on that was Phil Spector sound, you know we went for that. After that, the band did record tracks, but nothing was really released until uh, Unfinished Business in 1990. Since then, there haven't been any new recordings, yet the band continues to play live shows. How have you managed to keep all the members together all this time? Because most bands don't even last more than a few years. It's a little bit beyond all of us. It really is. It's a little bit beyond all of us that... 42 years later, we're, we're still playing. Whenever we play, we're grateful that we sell out, and it's it's crazy. But the last time we recorded was 1986. The record that came out in 1990 was recorded in 85 and 86. And basically what we are now is we play to people who probably saw us when they were in college, and, you know, they come out and want to relive 1983 again or whatever it is, and... And everybody has a ball and we all go home. It certainly has taken a life of its own on the, the Stompers. It's beyond all of us. And I don't think any of us could have thought it would have gone on that long, really. But, you know, the important thing is that it's really not a functioning band as far as new music. Occasionally, I'll bring in something of mine that I've put out on a solo record. We do a couple of the Rocky tunes. But for the most part, we're playing the same set that we did in <laughs> 1980. But it's a gas, and there's, there's a lot of history there, and it's it's uh, it means a lot to the people that we play to. It's just a, it's it's amazing. It really is something. But it's not an outlet for new music. next high-profile project was recording under the name Rock E. Rollins. While the Stompers allowed you to explore the roots of American rock, was Rock E. Rollins created so that you could stretch out and embrace the British music scene that inspired you decades ago? That British rock, you know, that, that whole thing is part of my DNA because I was there when it, when it first came out and I just lived with the radio. So that. That music is in is in my DNA. It's it always has been. There's been little moments here and there with, with the Stompers that we might have done a song that went that way, uh, but for the most part, we're kind of really just straight ahead American roots rock band. So yeah, so when I when I started to get back into uh, making records again, I wasn't thinking in terms of the Stompers anymore and our audience or any of that stuff. I wasn't thinking like, oh yeah, they, they'll dig this. So I didn't go that way at all. You know, because I've been, I've been writing songs the whole time. 
even though we haven't done them in the stompers. I've been writing and always planning a record, you know, <laughs> always planning the next record, but not always doing it. So, yeah, with the Rocky one, I had a bunch of other tunes. I wrote some with, with other people, uh, my friend John Macy. And I wrote some of those songs on there. And yeah, yeah, you know, I thought I thought a little bit more was going to happen with that, but it wasn't to be. On the train to Liverpool, I fell into a woozy sleep. Perfect fare with rain and jewels, poppins and a chimney sweep. On the train to Liverpool. The first album, The Postmodern Adventures of 21st Century Rock and Roll Boy, was more of a straightforward rock record, while the second album, Super Heterodyne, was far more psychedelic and, I guess you could say, experimental. Did you purposely shift gears between the albums, or was that just a natural progression? Well, the, the, the first one, um, The Postmodern Adventures, was in a studio with a band, and Super Heterodyne was all done at home. I just sat down every day. I made myself write a tune and record. Write a tune and record. Sometimes I do two a day. And then I went back and I found some old cassette tapes. There's some stuff on there that's, you know, from a Tascam 4-track. And I, I bounced it into my laptop and played around with some of those older tunes and mixed those in. So that's, I think there's like 18 songs on that record. So it was great. It was I was just at home doing what I've always done since, since I was a kid when I got my first four-track reel-to-reel. It had no place that it had to be. Like, you know, once the Stompers got started, it was like everything had to be for that band. Okay, this song's going to work on it. When we do the show, this song's going to work like that. And So I didn't have to think about that anymore. I just, at home, just like it was when I was a kid, just making stuff up. I love that. That's, that's when I feel the most magical. A long time ago when I was star boy, we danced on the dunes. And summer heather went on forever. Then untethered, we left too soon. Isn't it time to get back? Isn't it time to get back? But we Then you released two different solo albums under your name, uh, Salvatore Baglio. While both albums share a lot of tracks, this was definitely uh, a musical detour. The songs are softer, more introspective, and continue to be experimental. Was it a difficult decision to reveal a some somewhat more intimate and personal side? Uh, no, I don't think so. It was where I was... You know, it was how I was feeling at the time, and because uh, that's how records are. You know, you're in a f- certain mood for a period of time, and these songs all belong together. And that's how I felt about about those solo records. 
sometimes I feel like maybe I should have done those in a studio and uh, and brought them out in a different way, you know. But those those also were recorded at home, just me alone with a microphone. And that might be the the magical part of those records is that they were recorded that way. They're very intimate, and that's how I was feeling at the time. In 2019, you just released Lauda, the debut album by the Amplifier Heads. Now, was this a conscious effort to sort of blend everything that you've done before? Because it has the spirit of American rock and roll of the Stompers, but it also has the British side of things as well. And it seems almost like this is everything coming out at once. I don't think it was planned that way. It, it was just the, the group of songs that I had and being in the studio with, with Ducky Carlisle, who was able to get the sounds that I wanted and, uh, and, and sometimes even better, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was time to do a record. And most of it is, is done. It's, it's pretty much a solo record. I used a couple of other friends to come in and play, but for the most part, it was just me and Ducky in a studio. And I'd go in, I'd show him a song, you know, I'd say it goes like this. He and I would do a track with drums and a, and a guitar, and then I'd go build it, um, go back and put the bass and other guitars and all the vocals stacked on there. And it sounds exactly like I want it to sound. Really, really happy with this record. I think somebody said uh, there were more hooks than a pirate's graveyard. I've got a new obsession. Have mercy, I can't put it Obsession is true. That new obsession is How did you hook up with Ducky Carlisle? I mean, he's worked with the Flash Cubes. He worked on the Danny Wilkerson album last year, and he's worked on a lot of records. And what inspired you to work with him on the project? Well, I've known Ducky for decades. He actually recorded the first Rocky record. We did that at his original recording studio in South Boston. And, uh, I, you know, we've just known each other. We have a bunch of mutual friends, and we've always supported each other and we, we love all the same music and when it was time to make the record that's where I wanted to go because I, I knew that the sound of his house and uh, his studio was going to be great and I also knew that I could bounce my ideas off of him and he'd know where I was coming from and that's why that record sounds the way it does. Ducky had a lot to do with that man. You know, and then he'll say, no, I had nothing to do with it but he, he really did. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know. So Great guy and uh, hell of a drummer. He's a, he's a wonderful musician. 
you know, uh, a great engineer and, and co-producer as well. The boy with the amplifier head Everybody thought that he was born that way When they shut him down He made that awful sound The boy with the amplifier head Well, the album's opening track, The Boy with the Amplifier Head, appeared with a completely different arrangement on your solo album. Now, when you first wrote the song, which arrangement was in your head? The ballad is the first way that I wrote that song, the one that's on the two uh, solo records. That's how the song first came to me. We were done with this record, um, the Amplifier Head's record. We We were done. We had 10 tracks. There was one track that I wasn't too happy with working with everything else. I got up one morning and I picked up the guitar and I didn't even think about it. I just started to play the rock and roll version of um, Boy With The Amplifier Head. I said, wow, I like this. So I put a quick demo down on my uh, laptop and went into the studio with Ducky that day. I said, let's cut this. I played it for him. We went into the studio. The first take that we played, we, we nailed it. He played the hell out of the drums. We didn't even have to talk about it. That's why it's so good to work with somebody like Ducky. There's very little I have to say to him. He kind of gets it. He gets what I'm doing. So, yeah, that was, our, that, that was the last track we cut for the album. Apart from the uh, the boy with the amplifier head, is this a collection of songs written over a period of time, or were you inspired to write a whole new batch of songs once you realized that you were going to make this album? Uh, no, I've, I've wrote those over the past few years. I think one track, Rock Candy, probably the oldest track. I cut that with with Marty Richards and Brad Helene. So Ducky just he engineered that and did percussion on that track. That's probably the oldest track that I had recorded. Uh, it was just an instrumental. There was no lyric to it. It was going to be called I Am the King of Rock and Roll, and So Am I. That was the title of that track. And then one morning, getting ready to go in to record, and I don't know where that came from. I just started to write those lyrics uh, in a stream of consciousness thing. So what I found is that all those songs somehow connect to each other in some way. Lyrically, musically, they all fit and make sense on that record to me. You know, Rock Candy is a, is a person. The boy with the amplifier head, you know, he's somebody that knows Rock Candy. They go to the beat club together and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, they work together. It, it works together pretty well, you know. It's memory. It's, it's thinking back on a, a different time. That's how that album works for me. And... When I think in terms of records that I love, 
You know, they all make sense somehow together. Even if they're not, if the tracks don't tell a whole story, somehow those 12 songs that were put on those records that I loved and listened to made some sort of sense, either sonically or lyrically. to pull from your real life or do you create a life within the walls of the song itself? Great question. Both probably. It's sort of like the liner notes on the record about manifesting. You know, sometimes I remember something about the past and I'm going to write about it. And then afterwards I'm thinking, well, did that really occur? Uh, did I dream that up? Um, I, don't, I don't know that I need to know that answer sometimes. But uh, with these tunes here, there's there's something real in every one of those songs that I either experienced or witnessed in some way, you know? Even the, you know, there were songs about candy on there and big wax lips and all that stuff. And that's like, that reminds me of, of Halloween as a kid, you know? In the time of the early 90s, I was walking down a street that was across from where this old gumball factory used to be. And they were they were tearing down some three decker homes and and across the entire side of a house they had unveiled this old ad for jar teasers for the candy. And literally that song is written the the lyrics of verbatim what I saw on that wall. I just I remember I walked by it and I said, This is a song right here, man, you know? And I, I probably, I, I'm, in those days, I might have had a notebook with me or something, and I jotted it down, or I ran home, and I remembered it. And, and literally, you know, that's the whole side of the building. Jaw teases. Roll it in your mouth and have some fun. I'm like, this is beautiful. You know, it's an all-day sucker. Don't bite it, you know. And I'm like, man, that, there's a tune in there. And I, I wrote that song probably in 1991 or two at home. And I never recorded it until this session. much energy and joy on this album how do you maintain that excitement after all these years that's that's what the music does you know it's like when i put on you know revolver or something i recall all the energy i had when i listened to it and and what it how it makes me feel and so when i'm in the studio you know we're rocking we're playing we're we're creating that's what gives you the energy you know now what's next for sal baglio so yeah i got another record ready to go, um, ready to re- be recorded. I got a, a, a bunch of songs 
I think I'm going to put it out as uh, the Amplifier Heads again. I think I'm going to use that name. You know, these these are solo records, really. It's it's not a band band. You know, I have guys that, that come out and play live with me, but they're, they're solo records. But rather than rather than call them Sal Baglio records, you know, let's face it, that's not that's not a great rock and roll name, is it? You know, I always use the name of a band because I, truly, I love the idea of a band. I love the idea of that. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, so so I have another record. You know, if I'm, I don't know when I'm going to go in. It'll probably be after the after the first year sometime and play live. You know, I'd like to take this band out to play live more. You know, it's a it's a new and different time. You know, when I started playing with the Stompers. You could play. You could play seven nights a week. Uh, we definitely averaged five nights a week. Sometimes you did three nights at one club, and then you know one night is at others. And there was a time where we were doing double headers. We'd play in the afternoon somewhere, and then play at night. <clears throat> that all, that's all gone now. That doesn't exist anymore. So uh, it's a different time, and we'll have to find some different ways to put on shows. can listeners connect with you and stay updated on all things Sal, Stompers, and Amplifier Heads? Uh, well, you know, uh, on the internet, we get uh, theamplifierheads.com, also on Bandcamp, which is cool because you can listen to some songs while you read about the band. Uh, we're out on Facebook, you know, I'm out there uh, under my name, under the Amplifier Heads, thestompers.com for everything that has to do with that band. We're getting ready to do our um, yearly Saturday after Thanksgiving show. Um, November 30th, we're going to be playing. This is our 10th year at this particular venue. Um, it's just about sold out. That's going to be a gas. That's it for this episode of Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. I'd like to thank my special guest, Sal Baglio, for hanging out. Remember to check out the Amplifier Heads and their brand new album, Lauda, available now. I'd also like to thank you for listening and hanging out. Please like, comment, share, subscribe, do whatever you can to help keep Beach Blanket Fort Bingo alive. I really appreciate it. Remember to hang out for a special post-credit song coming up. Smell you later. Now that we've reached the post-credits segment of the podcast, what can you tell us about this previously unreleased song uh, that we're about to hear called Record Store? I wrote 
record store on my 59th birthday. Um, I woke up, went to the table, had my guitar, a cup of coffee, and it's it spilled out complete, just the way you hear it. Um, it was a stream of consciousness about the past. You know, I was 59, knowing that then what the next year was going to be. So I was looking looking back, and record stores were magical. Uh, it was a magical place to go. It was a good memory. And what that did was it led me to think about other things, you know, the local music store that we go to, uh, you know, thinking about childhood and a few little magical things that went on. It's one of those songs that came out musically and lyrically all together. It was great. In front of Woolworths in the summertime 